Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. After an encouraging four-game win streak that saw the Pels beat the Pacers, Rockets, Grizzlies, and Suns, the Pelicans have now lost five of six and fallen back down to earth. Mavericks, Bulls, Pistons, Suns, and Blazers. And they're not going to get any easier as we head towards the All-Star break. But to discuss the current state of the Pelicans and why we can still be hopeful, we have editor-in-chief to thebirdrights.com, the man who will wait in his car all day for a Pelicans quote, Mr. Ali Cosell. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Preston. I just, uh, as we were talking beforehand, things just seem... Not as happy, both in Twitter, amongst our own DM chats, you name it. And um, it's good just to step back. I think that that's my message for today. If you don't like what's going on around you, go do whatever makes you happy, but go breathe some fresh air, whatever. Don't contribute to the problem, which is, you know, the angst of whether the Pelicans are, you know, losing another really tough game to, you know, arguing over whether this player should stay or go on 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 your favorite team for most of course it's the New Orleans Pelicans so yeah I just want everybody just to just relax just just remember it, it's just a game and the world is hurting and we're all stuck in this but hopefully there's daylight for you know the team our world getting over this pandemic our personal lives with jobs you name it so yeah just be mindful of that whenever you start a discussion and it turns controversial <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I, I know that people are are understandably frustrated. You know, the team is is performing below what what we were expecting. But man, when I turn off the television and the Pelicans are no longer playing, you know, I'm in a house with my beautiful wife, my beautiful daughter, and our wonderful dog, and we can't leave. Uh, you know, all of my work is virtual now, remote. So there's there's no reason for me to leave the house. So life is very much like a hamster on a wheel and it can be frustrating and it can be hard and having our pelicans even though they're not the pelicans we necessarily want or think we deserve is still a nice form of a, a escapism from time to time and i still enjoy watching them play even when they're losing five of six games so i hope that can give perspective to some of our listeners i'm, I'm sorry we're like uh, i can't think of the the name of the guy that um oprah used to have on her show all the time who would who would come and talked about why yeah what kind of Dr. Phil, thank you. That was escaping me. I feel like we're starting with Dr. Phil, but I do have some wind to put beneath your wings, Ali, and to our listeners. You just heard him, uh, a special treat. The former Prince of the Portical, now with his newest successful venture at the Nola Crawfish King in Gentilly, I believe, Mr. Kevin Barros. Kevin, would you like to offer a discount to our listeners? Yeah, come by and I'll take a cent off or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a 
something out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you heard it here first the bird right discount at nola crawfish king and gentilly one cent off uh, kevin but yeah, just tell our listeners a bit about it sorry go ahead uh just tell our listeners about what you've been doing at nola crawfish king in case they're not aware yeah sure um so during the pandemic you know i was out of work for a long time scraping by selling art and stuff like that and um i have a buddy shaggy who also worked at Portocall years and years and years ago before my time, actually. But we had a lot of mutual friends and he'd still come around a lot. And uh, he had a business doing crawfish catering, which he was doing for like 25 years. And then COVID killed that business for him. He would do like um, music festivals. Uh, he would do like parties, private parties, stuff like that. So he bought a food truck and he was selling boiled crawfish out of it and Gentilly in this parking lot of a gas station. And he was selling like 2,000 pounds a day out of the truck. And there happened to be an empty business that was to totally abandoned, totally run down and beat up um, next door. And he one day just tried the door and it opened and he went inside and he saw a bunch of potential in it. And he decided to make a brick and mortar and transition his catering business into like a counter takeout business incorporating barbecue, which he also loves. Um, so I helped him get that started. Um, we worked out of a food truck for a while, uh, just doing barbecue. Now we're in January 13th. We opened up in the, in our building. Um, so we have barbecue, we have boiled seafood. Um, we also make like our own sausages. We make uh tasso, we make, um, bacon, all this stuff, which you can buy in the deli case. So a nice one-stop shop. We have a huge sandwich menu. We make our own pastrami. So we have like a really good Reuben sandwich. Um, and we make like these really good egg rolls, like boudin egg rolls and brisket egg rolls. Um, and we have brisket ribs, hot sausage, all kind of stuff like that. And then boiled seafood as well. Um, so I'm running the shop for them. Um, and uh, we're doing some catering gigs too now and uh, going to have pop-ups for a boiled crawfish, stuff like that too. So it's keeping me super busy, which is why you haven't seen me much on Twitter or on podcasts or even allowing me to watch games fully or even when I'm watching the games to really be totally invested in them. But um, it's been nice, it's been rewarding to like sort of grow something from ground up and be a part of something like that. And I love food. So dealing with food and stuff like that every day is, is uh, great and fun, even if it is tiring and, uh, and time consuming. Great stuff. So make sure you check out the Nola Crawfish King. First, a word from our new sponsors. In addition to Bet Online, we've got a partnership now with eBay, and we're going to be giving away sneakers this month. So let me tell you about them. Let's talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you, so you can shop confidently knowing your pair is the real deal. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for... You guessed it, more sneakers. Check out ebay.com slash sneakers today. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. 
BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we are back, and now we're going to dive in and talk Pelicans after what may have been the longest intro in our podcast history. Uh, Ali, it's it's not the nature of these losses that's frustrating. Obviously, the Pelicans are now not necessarily into a rebuilding mode, but the the expectations have has shifted. But the manner in which we're losing these games that that is puzzling. Um, the manner in which they lost to the Blazers, in which it was two points at the end, where you you'd think the best shot would come at the hands of Zion Williamson, but instead it was a, a sharply contested and deep three pointer uh, by Lonzo Ball. Then a forty-one to twelve fourth quarter deficit last night to the Phoenix Suns. The endless barrage of threes that opponents seem to be collecting. Ali, what's going wrong these past two weeks? We're seeing a young team fall apart at certain times of the game, and it's not necessarily always the same thing. But one thing is consistent, is you're right to mention that three ball. I mean, Christian Clark mentioned in his his um, piece last night, article after the game, but the first person to allude to it, of course, was Stan Van Gundy. 120 made threes by your opponents in the last six games. It's amazing to me almost that they won even just one of those games, right? They've lost five of the last six. And the main reason for it is, for me, the, the amazing shooting by the opponent, where the Pelicans, of course, are facing a little bit of bad luck at times, right? Not every shot should go in that's, you know, not well contested because let's face a law of averages should work. But right now it seems like everyone that the opponent's launching is going in. And so that's a problem. And you see that with bad rotations, with not getting out to good closeouts, with, you know, a breakdown happening to your defense to where it suddenly then pulls somebody off a man from the weak side, thereby leaving them super wide open. And we saw that last night. You know, Frank Kaminsky, I think, started 5-of-5 five five from three-point range last night. And, boy, that, that was <laughs> that was like a knife to the gut because I was watching it, you know, being at the game and just how wide open he was getting left. And a couple of times I know Zion was covering him early, and he was just closing out very well. Um, but, again, yeah, Preston, I mean, the simple answer is – this team can't put together 48 minutes. So it, it comes down to just executing, whether you're on offense or defense. So I'm glad you brought the Portland game. And you're right. That last, you know, that last final possession is really a head scratcher. But I feel like Stan Van Gundy kind of did right by getting his two players involved, B.I. and Zion, his best two players. And they should have figured it out, right? Because they are the go-to guys. They just made a bad decision. I didn't like from the pick to Zion then just like covering or running and ducking to where he didn't even make himself available to B.I. for a pass to, of course, B.I.'s decision on how he handled the rest of that possession. But before that, I think it's important to point out that Portland, they were losing by 10 at halftime to the Pelicans. And what happened right out of halftime? Portland makes a charge, and, and it was basically a seesaw battle the rest of the way because the Pelicans came out flat. Last night, they didn't. That kind of impressed me to where the Suns, I think they, what the Pelicans had a six- or seven-point lead. And they pretty much kept it at that. And by the end of the third quarter, had improved it all or increased that margin to 11. So they played really well, I thought, despite, you know, giving up some spotty three point, you know, easy three point shots uh, to the Suns. They played pretty well. So that fourth quarter was just such a punch to the gut. And I rewatched it and there was everything. You, you want to talk about it? Everything. Zion kind of began the fourth quarter. Couple turnovers, bad ones. Shot clock expired. Then he had his foot out of bounds on a catch on the wing. Can't do that. Kyra Lewis missed two super wide open threes. 
that's not going to happen every time. And then um, Jackson Hayes, he was probably the biggest negative on the court. He had a couple turnovers. One, the, the most egregious one to me was when he, right out of a timeout, Pelicans running a set. He's holding the ball behind him, looking to make a pass, like looking towards the rim area, the paint. And he just puts the ball behind him to where he can't see it, low to the ground, like two feet off the ground. Guess who's sitting right there? Chris Paul. I mean, I don't know. You've got to have just more awareness, knowing where everybody is on the court. So anyways, that leads to a fast break. Uh, The Suns get a couple of free throws. But that was just basically the theme. The Pelicans did absolutely nothing right on either end of the court for about eight minutes. And so – NBA teams are just too good, Preston. I mean, and the Suns, they're led by one of the best, you know, floor generals. So that 28-point turnaround um, or whatever, it was 29 in the fourth quarter, it doesn't surprise you when you just watch the Pelicans on how poorly they executed. I mean, it, it's just atrocious. So, I mean, long, long story short, I'm just writing it off to the fact that, honestly, they're just young guys. They're being relied upon to be carried by a 23-year-old NBI, 23-year-old Lonzo, and 20-year-old Zion. And when those guys, you know, hit a wall, then if, I feel like the whole team hits a wall. And they're going to have to figure it out. That's all there is to it. They don't have a veteran playmaker that they can rely on. Now, Kevin, we have seen a lot of positives, and we'll get to that. And it's, it's, it's hard to spot the positives when you lose five of six, but the emergence of Zion as a playmaker – the consistent production of Brandon Ingram, the rise of one Kyra Lewis, who's getting now consistent minutes. But I, I do want to mention that problem that Ali is talking about. Uh, he said that Christian reported it was 123s over the past six games. I counted 130, but I'm also terrible at math, so I'd probably go with Christian on that way. Uh, either way, it's it's a, an astonishing number, Kevin. And right now the Pelicans are doing a good job policing the paint, but opponents seem to be setting records against them on a nightly basis from beyond the arc, as Grubb would say. So at what point, Kevin, do you have to shift your defensive philosophy and move guys out towards the perimeter? You know, I don't know if it's so much about changing defensive philosophy. You guys would have better insight into that than I would, just because, like I said, I haven't been able to focus really from an analytical state uh, watching the games because I have so much going on. But one thing that I would say is, I mean, that we have a bad team defense and we have guys that aren't good team defenders and that aren't aware is where they're supposed to be, especially in the Phoenix game, you remove Steven Adams, your best defender from the court. And you have at least two guys who blow rotations and then combine that with the fact that they're playing against Chris Paul, who's, you know, one of the greatest uh, creators in NBA history. Um, So that's just going to totally be exploited in that game. Now, it's a trend, so it's not just that game. But I think that's the main issue. Even guys that came over with some pedigree, like, you know, Eric Bledsoe is an all-defensive guard, um, and he just doesn't seem to be trying. You know, I had higher hopes for him. I thought that he would be in this position either trying to play his way out by playing so well and then being um, a piece that people would want to trade for, or that he would just buy into this situation because of the two young stars that we had and, and would give it a go. And then, you know, you had guys like Lonzo and JJ, you know, the makings of what could be a fun and exciting growing young team that he could buy into, or like I said, play in a way that he would be marketable to another team and he could get poached. 
Um, but he's really not doing that at all on the defensive end. I mean, you just see a total lack of effort most games. Um, so that's the biggest thing. I don't really think it's philosophy. It's just execution and, and players. I mean, I've been very hard on Jackson Hayes throughout his career. Um, and I have to say, I've seen great strides in him, especially on the rebounding side of things. Defensively, he's still lost most of the time. And then, you know, like you said, you take Steven Adams off the court in that last game and you have to rely on him in those stretches of minutes. And he was a huge negative. And it's this balance that Stan Van Gundy has to figure out. Am I trying to develop a young team? Or am I trying to win? The roster is built in a way where you could kind of go either way, but you have to start making moves to clear up, uh, get some of those older vets out of there to give the young guys playing time if you go that direction. If not, you have to find a way to also develop those guys so when you need them, they're ready to go. And, like, you know, really Jackson Hayes would benefit tremendously from playing, you know, starters minutes in the G League. But I don't know if his pedigree and the experience he has now is something that is, you know, that can be sold to him and sold to the um, personnel department and ownership. You know, um, but it's really what he needs. He needs to play to get better. But if you're trying to win, you can't play him. So it's like, a, uh, you know, a real conundrum that Stan Van Gundy is in. Um, maybe there are some things he can do philosophy wise, but really, I just think right now it's construction and effort from some guys. Yeah, real quick, I want to jump in here, Preston, because it was a topic yesterday and why. Um, did the Pelicans maybe not change something up and therefore they got beat by the three ball, right? Suns made seven in that final quarter. Well, what they're doing right now is they're trying to uh, keep the big man up top high. And you see that, right? You see either last night it was Billy Hearn and Gomez or Jackson Hayes after a pick and roll to stay up there. And I, I think only one time to lead to a turnover where Lonzo got his hands on the ball. Jackson actually grabbed the deflection. But other than that, they were picking, of course, the team apart. And uh, Stan was even talking about it today. That's why I want to jump in here about this. And, and he basically said, look, yeah, I know that's a strategy we use and it didn't work out, but he, he thinks it should. And he points to the Denver Nuggets to where they keep Jokic out there uh, on pick and rolls. They don't have him sitting down in the paint, uh, staying underneath everything and such, uh, like maybe some other teams do, like Milwaukee, right, with, with Brooke Lopez. And, and I agree with him. I think that when you just watch the team – they aren't making the smartest reads. And then, of course, the rotations aren't crisp. And I'm looking right at B.I. and Zion. They're super responsible. There's this one play I got to mention real quick. Yesterday, fourth quarter, Suns are making a charge. And Zion closes out to Cam Johnson, gets burned by him easily. Cam is you know, driving towards the paint. Here comes Jackson, kind of a half-hearted attempt at closing out. But anyways, Cam misses a shot. But uh, – Aiton grabs an easy rebound because nobody was in position. It was just JJ underneath there. Zion, after getting burned, just literally jogged back into the picture. And he didn't even make his way all the way to the paint, right? I want to say he stopped, you know, maybe three, four feet outside of it. So that's unacceptable. Same thing with B.I. I catch him routinely being either late on rotations or just making uh, fundamentally, you know, something's wrong, whether he's closing out at, bat, at a bad angle or just not, you know, with the right timing. And so I think you're right. I think, Preston, you mentioned it earlier, but there's a lot of problems, and it does stem from not having the guys being uh, able to execute on the court, and that's what basically Stan's working with. So 
how can you devise, and this is what I want to tell the fans that are screaming for either Stan's head or calm, you know, saying, I saw this a lot last night, talking about bad rotations that, that he's screwing that up. No, no. He doesn't have the guys that can pull off whatever scheme he is writing up to them right now. That is truer the majority of the time. And I rewatch these games. So anybody that wants to argue with me, feel free, because I, I, I'll point out to where you guys are wrong, because I'm seeing what Stan's seeing with a lot of other people that really, you know, can analyze and break down this game, see it too. And so majority of it's on the players. They're just not getting the concepts. And it goes back to, I mean, I hate to say it, not enough practice time. I mean, I just saw Harrison Fagan, who covers the uh, Lakers, just mentioned it. The Lakers have had eight practices. This was a couple of days ago, just eight practices from the start of the season until a few days ago. I mean, that's ridiculous. So that's what the Pelicans are working with. These, I mean, these guys don't really have anything down yet, but they're going from game to game and basically flying by the seat of their pants. So the breakdowns are kind of, you know, I hate to say they're going to happen. Even though they're not rookies, they still don't function well together. Fish talks about this all the time. They don't trust each other. And it does. It shows up. When adversity hits, it shows up. So this is what they're kind of going to have to overcome, especially against the better teams. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here. They had a practice today. They played Boston tomorrow, midday, and then they're going to have two days off. So I'm honestly expecting them maybe not to win tomorrow, but after tomorrow, probably have a good another good week, week and a half. Because anytime they've had practice time, they've played better. So let's see if that holds true once more. I mean, also, like, you know, I know it's been said a million times that Zion is really just getting to like the midpoint of what would be a rookie year, the amount of games mm-hmm. he's played. And then you take away the fact that we didn't have a training camp or a preseason. So that really kind of sets that even further back mm-hmm. also with a coaching change, which is why like, I'm, what I, I'm going to say this and it's going to sound like I'm out on Stan Van Gundy, which I'm not. Um, it's just that it's one of the reasons I thought we should have brought in a younger coach that was more of a development guy that's going to grow along with the team because the expectation would be lower. You would have time to develop this. You could get these guys playing time, the younger guys playing time and grow together. You already know you have these two stars. Whereas when you have a guy with Sam Van Gundy's pedigree and you keep these veterans and you bring in even more veterans, then you're making the expectation of win now when the situation is really kind of impossible to win now when you're relying on such young guys and you're relying on a total change in how things are run, how defense is played, how the offense is structured um, and who they're playing with over the short period of time. And while these guys are, like you said, are just figuring each other out, you know, like Ingram and Zion don't know how to play together offensively correctly yet much less defensively which is where they both struggle to begin with so then you all of that gets compounded um so you know it's a it's kind of another throwaway year unfortunately just not to due to any fault of the the team the players or even the coaching staff just because of the situation that we're in um so it, it's just frustrating in that sense and i think you have to be somewhat patient um, with the team because of those reasons and uh, and kind of give them a slight bit of pass as they develop. Because like you said, they, they rarely get to practice because of the compressed schedule as well. So it's like impossible to really fix things and understand each other early on in the season. It has to start growing towards the end. 
Yeah, I've got the Pelicans schedule in front of me. The last time that they had uh, meaningful practice time was following the loss to the Timberwolves, where, again, we were all willing to jump off the building at that point. Four days later, they rattled off four wins in a row. So let's hope with some meaningful practice time, of course, they're not getting near the volume of time they had that they had then. But if they are getting inside the building and getting to run drills again with Stan Van Gundy, hopefully they'll come out with a renewed sense of uh, vigor and purpose and kind of put together those um, those new ideologies that that he's introducing. One thing that I, I do want to talk about that Kevin has touched on uh, quite well, Ali, is the direction of this franchise. Uh, one of Griff's greatest errors, in my estimation, was setting those expectations a bit too high for a fan base last year. He said, we want to beat people's asses. And like Kevin said, he's still collecting veterans and introducing the mindset of a team that's going to compete for a playoff spot. And currently, that's not where the Pelicans are. Of course, that could change at any time. But the thing that we've all been clamoring for is for the Pelicans to become sellers to jettison Redick, Eric Bledsoe, uh, make a judgment call on Lonzo Ball either way. But when you get to that point, initially what's going to happen is the Pelicans are probably going to lose more games. And for a fan base that's really been losing, with the exception of two playoff appearances in over the past decade, that, that might not be what everybody wants. Do you think there's any universe in which the Pelicans could deal Bledsoe and Redick and in fact be buyers and just put together, I don't know, some Rashawn Holmes type players, Kelly Olenek, nothing too flashy, but just a guy in here who can kind of get the train back on track? Yeah, that was a loaded question. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll start with what Griff says. I don't take what comes out of his mouth as harshly or I critique him as much as a lot of others do. For one simple fact, he's a PR guy. His history started in public relations with the Phoenix Suns. And I'll be honest with you, if you're in his shoes, what would you have said last year? Because you're taking over a young team. And you know what your future is at Zion, BI, the core you trade basically for Anthony Davis. And yet you don't want to um, have them experience basically nothing but losses, like say, you know, during the process of Philadelphia days or the poorly mismanaged Washington Bullets slash Wizards of yesteryear, right? Where they had all these high draft picks, threw them all together, and nothing ever seemed to work. Now, I think Griff was right to surround them with veterans, but at that point, you don't really know what's going to happen. But either way, you can't send the message and say, oh, we're rebuilding, I feel like, um, and just talking about the future when you've got a Drew Holiday, when you've got a Derek Favors. And, you know, there's probably some expectations already for Zion, and I know there are from his family, from what I've heard, that both, you know, mom and uh, stepdad, that I mean, they're ready to win now, kind of. So there's all these expectations. So he's got this balancing act. So like I said, I don't really take too much stock out of what Griff says. Yeah, but rather we, just know, but is there a direction, right, with the team and what direction is it heading in? So I think you're absolutely right, Preston, in that regard to question that this isn't a complete roster, that changes have to be made. I mean, we've known all along that this was going to be Reddick's last year. You could tell by his comments over the summer and with kind of how his role this year has been kind of been smaller and he hasn't performed that you knew that he's going to have to be moved before the deadline. Bledsoe came in, you know, I, I was worried about him when they traded him and decided to keep him. Wh where would his heart be? Everybody was telling me, oh, you're wrong. He's going to pretty much be able to step right in, give you 80, 85% of what Drew was doing. And he would do it happily and willingly. Well, that hasn't been the case, I think, at all. I think now we have maybe 40% of what Drew gives you. And that's largely stems to, I think, you know, Eric just kind of not wanting to give his full effort like he did for a team in Milwaukee. So 
you have to move off from the, both of those two players without a doubt. But as to who you could target, Preston, yeah, I think if you're Griff, you want to remain aggressive. And it's not simply just to try and turn around this season, but it's to put another piece that you think that can be part of this core moving forward. So for me, it, it's to find a defender. Everybody keeps talking about Bradley Biro. Hey, let, let's really start dreaming, toss out some stupid names to me like a Steph Curry or Damian Lillard, like some people were doing maybe a month ago. No, no, I think you need to be realistic. And I think some people are more so now than they were previously. But you look at what's, you know, defaults with the team. And, of course, most of it's defensively. This team has been bonkers offensively. For the last six weeks, I want to say they've been number one, if not right there in the top three in offensive rating. So points, scoring points not an issue. Making the three balls not an issue. Turnovers are down. No, no, it's strictly on the other side of the ball. So I would love, I mean, my number one target, and I, I remember, I think we talked about this, what, guys, a year ago or something, but Jonathan Isaac, somebody like him, when we had already seen B.I. and Zion together and we knew we need to get a long defender somehow between them, you know, just helping them out. So he remains my totally unrealistic number one. But if you look at somebody that's available or might be available, I'm looking at Aaron Gordon, Preston. I'll be honest with you, you've talked about him multiple times, so I want you to jump in here. But I feel like this guy, I know he's, he gets hurt. He's, he's got that questionable history with his um, you know injuries, but also that he's kind of wanted to be the man um, in Orlando. So it's made for you know a lower field goal percentage, him taking you know more ill-advised shots, trying to be a more maker when really he should be a dairy playmaker and such. But he's now 25, and I feel like he's realizing who he may be in this league. If you put him on a team with a true alpha or just an obviously better player like Zion, I think that could click because I love what he does defensively, right? He's been almost mentioned in the same breath as Ben Simmons over the last few years when he's been on. So I feel like you want to grab somebody that's that kind of size um, and can give you on both ends of the floor who's probably not long for where they're at now. So right now he's my number one. I'm going to do an article this week about a possible trade scenario. But what do you think, Preston? What do you think of Aaron Gordon? Before I answer that, a word from our sponsors. Let's talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you. So you can shop confidently knowing your pair is the real deal. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for, you guessed it, more sneakers. Check out ebay.com sneakers today. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, thanks to Andrew. Shout out to Andrew for all the help. Uh, we now have three sponsors, and I appreciate everybody for listening to them. And if you want to call them up and, and use the codes that we're using, that's going to help us out a ton, and hopefully we'll be able to re reward you with some free shoes. 
But Aaron Gordon, I have been an Aaron Gordon fan ever since he came down to Orlando. And I've been on record before saying they've never quite utilized him properly. He's never had that perfect blend of a point guard that marries so well with his skills. So he's he's tried to emerge as that playmaker for the Orlando Magic. They've got a lot of catch and shoot guys and Evan Fournier, Terrence Ross guys who can use the ball but can't really initiate an offense. That's really Nikola Vucevic's responsibility. And he's down low right where Aaron Gordon should be. So it's never really worked. You pair him next to Jonathan Isaac. Even when Isaac's out, they've got lineups with Ken Birch and Mo Bamba on the floor at the same time. That's, again, taking Aaron Gordon out of what he's best at. But on the defensive side of the floor, it doesn't matter who's out there. The man is a pterodactyl. Uh, he's a junkyard dog. He can shut down virtually anyone in the NBA. Nobody defends Kevin Durant better. I mean, this guy is the prototypical Drew Holiday replacement. You just put him on a guy and you shut that guy down. On the offensive end, I, I get the gripes. Uh, he hasn't emerged as the shooter. Uh, we saw glimpses of it, I want to say in 2018-19, when he shot about 37% from three with really high volume. But but yeah, the guy kind of turns into Kobe Bryant from time to time, and he doesn't have the proficiency or the efficiency to be that player, which you really want to take care of is his attributes, his skills, his physicality, his athleticism. And that's something that if you pair next to Zion, these guys are going to be flying up and down the floor, but therein you're also presented with that same age-old problem is who's playing center? Are we moving Zion to center? Are we putting Aaron Gordon at center? Uh, I'm sure he could manage that for periods of time. But over the course of a full game, you're still dealing with needing, needing to put Steven Adams into that position. And then all of a sudden, you've got Brandon Ingram at the two. I don't know if that's a viable option. I'd love to see it uh, with Lonzo, B.I., uh, Aaron Gordon, Zion, and Steven Adams. I mean, talk about exciting. But I, I don't know if that works because, honestly, I didn't watch the first two years of Brandon Ingram's career at Los Angeles where he was serving a lot of minutes at the two. I don't, I don't know if he has the foot speed, the lateral quickness to really you know, chase the C.J. McCollums of the NBA or if you pass that off to Aaron Gordon. I've been talking to, for a long time, so we're going to go ahead and, and push this over to Kevin and, and kind of keep on this topic. What is the direction from here, Kevin? Obviously, we're seeing Zion emerge as kind of like I don't, I don't know, the principal playmaker over the last 13 games. He's averaging five assists uh, per game. So what do the Pelicans need at this point to, to, to become back into a fringe-level playoff contender? Yeah, I mean, I don't – I mean, they can be a fringe-level playoff contender this year for sure. I think they can still get to that um, if they can tighten up defensively. Offensively, even when it's – not clear what they're doing. They just have so much talent offensively that they're still a good offense, you know? Um, but I do like putting the ball in Zion's hands and making him more of a, a playmaker, kind of making him a little bit of uh, like a hybrid of LeBron and Shaq in a sense, you know, I, you know, he has a lot of early Orlando Shaq tendencies. Um, and then if he can become a, a really good playmaker, then you start to get unlocked that sort of, LeBron side to his game um, that he's also been compared to before. But, you know, um, I know that's taking two of the greatest players of all time and saying that he's, he's that, but I think a lot of people feel like Zion could be that kind of player. Um, that's what his ceiling is. So if, if that works, then you really have something dynamic, you know, you see how that was one of my problems also, sorry to get sidetracked, but early in the year, like I like Lonzo, I'm I'm a fan of Lonzo Ball, but when you look at Lonzo Ball and you look at Zion, they're very unique players for the sort of position that they have to play or kind of play or are forced into the roles that they're playing. So it's hard to kind of build a system around them. 
And I think that's part of what the problem is right now, in a sense, is that um, who is what and who's doing what. And if this guy's doing that, how does it affect that guy? And does that make that other guy completely, does it sort of neuter him in a way? Um, so it, it's a tough puzzle to f- figure out. And I'm, I'm not saying they should give up on, on the Lonzo Ball thing, because like I said, I think he's a very good basketball player. And I think they can make it work. It's just figuring out the pieces around him, Zion, and Ingram. Whereas maybe if you move Lonzo, it becomes a little bit clearer of what what you need because you're going to run things through through Lonzo. Um, I mean, sorry, you're going to run things through Zion when he's on the court, sort of like Jokic or or LeBron or even like Shaq when you feed him in the post and he could make plays out of it. Um, so, I mean, I think Zion is clearly the thing that the the player that you want to focus your offensive uh, your offensive scheme around you know even as great as Ingram is you know Ingram is not unstoppable like Zion is unguardable in the post and then you if you add that that passing element and you make him more of a creator then it really makes everybody else's job easier so he should always be the focal point um even though maybe Ingram is a more total about complete basketball player right now, Zion is unguardable. And so that's who you want the touches to go to. That's who you want the offense to run through. Um, and I, I think they're starting to figure that out. And maybe it's going to take some time for some of those other guys to learn to take a back seat and learn to when it's their turn to be aggressive um, and to be the one controlling the, the offense. But that's what the focus needs to be. And it's clear to me that – that's where we're at right now. Uh, Ali, I'm, I'm going to say something uh, kind of crazy because I was just going through some math while uh, Kevin was talking about the Pelicans. You mentioned the Pelicans have been the best offense in the NBA over the last several weeks. So here's what I found. Over the last 11 games, the Pelicans are, in fact, the best in the NBA with a 123.9 offensive rating. During that time, Ali, Zion, 26.6 points, 5.5 rebounds. 4.5 assists, one steal, 0.9 blocks on 67.7% shooting from the field. He's facilitating, and I don't think I don't think it's overselling things to say we've never seen anyone be this proficient at scoring the basketball ever. I, I looked up the numbers last night at Fish's request. Um, if anybody had ever done 25 points on 60% shooting, and Kevin McHale was the only one, and I want to say it was 86-87, uh, but he was right at 60%. I think it was 60.8. Zion is damn near 70% at this point, uh, Ali. So at some point, the question becomes, do you start running your offense, your entire game plan through Zion? And the thing is, yes. just to jump in real quick, is that the defense only has to guard like a six-foot radius. You're, that's really where he operates, you know, and they still can't stop him. Like you only have to block a six-foot radius to try to stop him, and you can't. That shows how great of a player he is. Yeah, normally he's beating Kevin, just to your point. He's beating two men on his way to the rim when he starts with the ball on the possession. And he he makes the right decision every time. That's the most beautiful part for me. When he's rolling in a game, it seems like most of his turnovers for me are at the start of games, whatever reason he needs to get into a flow. But once he's there, boy, he either makes, you know, gets a shot up and usually goes in, gets to the free throw line, or makes the right pass. So, yeah, it's beautiful. And Preston, to your point, when you're talking about these numbers and you're specifically talking about the field goal percentage, what I hope people realize is the names he's being compared with, right? I saw some lists the other day. 
it was all centers. It's all the traditional back to the back, uh, back to the rim type of centers that used to be in yesteryear. Kevin McHale, Will Chamberlain, Shaq. I forget who else was on that list. Zion's starting most of his possessions now outside the three point line. So for him to be doing it that efficiently, like I just talked about, and what, 51, 52 games in his career, he's 20 years old. His ceiling is limitless. I think we can now honestly dream of somebody that can make an impact on this league, kind of like LeBron James does. I don't think it's far-fetched to say that. And I love the fact that he's been given this opportunity to shine because that was my biggest argument for not trading for a Bradley Beal six weeks ago, whenever it was, or, you know, maybe this past offseason bringing in some kind of, you know, top 15, top 20 talent because I didn't want the ball taken out of Zion's hands because we didn't know who he was going to be. Last year, he was getting most of his touches on catches in the paint, whether it was in transition from Lonzo or in the setup or in the half-court offense, he was being set up. Well, now we're kind of seeing, well, all those kind of, um, you know, chains or whatever have been taken off of him. And look how he's flourishing. I mean, it's incredible. So I want that to continue. And it looks like Stan says that's going to basically be the plan. That, you know, at first it was like, we're not going to give him the ball every time for him to bring it up. Don't wear him down. Don't want to put too much on his shoulders. But the other day he answered a question saying, well, what is a plan long term kind of? And it is basically to allow him to fulfill whatever his capabilities are. And if that means he can handle the offense running it like a Luka Doncic, um, like a LeBron James, then by gosh darn, we're going to do it. So that's music to my ears. And, and I think that just goes to show what he's already proven that he can do in this league because he's earned that amount of leash and trust. And at age 20 for a guy that, you know, came out with his physical specs and all these highlights, well, guess what? We never really saw him, you know, being a triple double threat basically or something like that with the playmaking. But we got to remember he was a point guard growing up. So I think all of these talents are finally beginning to shine and I'm excited, but I, I want to bring up one more quick thing. And, for me, Kevin, when you talk about how your question maybe is the right fit, even though they're good players, Zion and Lonzo, well, with this recent amount of great play from Zion, now I'm beginning to wonder if it's Zion and B.I. Can they coexist? I feel like Lonzo and Zion are the better fit in my mind right now today than B.I. is with Zion. Uh, I know I, that's opening up a can of worms, and I'm going to turn in an article, but I was looking at some numbers, and, I mean, even the numbers support it. With B.I., here's the thing. When he's not on and he's, you know, kind of bogging down possessions to where it's taking a while, right? The ball does stick in his hands and he's not giving you something defensively. What's he really giving you? Yeah, I I mean, I get what you're saying. But my thing with with this is he's an extremely skilled offensive player. We know this. No doubt. Right. And you have two stars. You can Mm -hmm. stagger those stars so that you always have – one on the court at a time therefore yes. each of them gets their time to shine solo they have to figure out how to play together but they also need to figure out how to play together is what we said you know they just haven't had that time together to practice and also bi's coming off an all-star appearance so he feels like he's the guy whereas we're starting to see zion is actually the guy and I don't think that B.I. is the kind of person that's necessarily going to be, like, upset about that. You know, I think he's going to see, okay, this guy is something, 
unique like we've never seen before and could be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. So I need to take a backseat a little bit. And I think that that is something that's going to work. My main problem with this discussion is like for the entirety of this New Orleans basketball history, we've had two good small forwards, one of them being Jamal Mashburn for a year, maybe and a half. Then the other one being Paige Stoyakovic being the only good on one side of the court. Forever, we've had no one that can play that position. Finally, we have an all-star at that position. Why are we trying to move on from him? Let's try to make it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, no, no. I, I'm glad you said all that because that's perfect. Because my, my my ultimatum or whatever the point I'm trying to make here is that I don't want to get rid of Bi either. What I'm trying to say is I feel like Lonzo, Bi, and Zion deserve a lot longer leash as a trio, well beyond this trade deadline. So I don't care that Zion's up for a new contract, but I've seen enough out of Lonzo to where I really love what he does alongside Zion, and to a certain extent, sometimes around Bi too. But the argument I'm trying to make, though, is when we were talking about the pieces that you want to mm-hmm. see being placed around the obvious, you know, to me, the number one on this team, and it's Zion. Um, Lonzo just makes for a better hit fit right now from what we've seen than B.I. But like I said, I'm glad you said what you did because I'm not trying to knock B.I. and say we need to trade him. That's what everybody thinks. All of a sudden, well, if somebody's a little bit more important, let's move the other guy. No, no, no. I just really want everybody to see that there are all these talents at play, but they're not working well yet together like they should, or maybe they never will, but you at least have to give them a chance. So yeah, I I think that's, I mean, that's where I'm going to end this conversation with uh, on my part. And it's the fact that I I just feel like a stronger argument needs to be made for Lonzo to where he's treated kind of like along the same lines as Brandon, because to me, he's a better defender. He's, he's actually the better three point shooter if you get past like the first, what, eight, nine, ten games, all of a sudden it's free throw shootings there. So all of a sudden I'm seeing all this improvement from Lonzo, but nobody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. As for B.I., I'll be honest with you, with his skill set, for him to be a super reliable top 10, top 15, top 20 guy, he's got to be one of two things. And I don't think he'll ever be the guy that can beat somebody off the dribble like Zion to where he's either going to beat with strength or speed. It's not in his body type. But what he needs to do is be a reliable scorer a la Kevin Durant. So that means taking a dribble or two and rising up over somebody. We see that throughout much of the games, but it hasn't translated in fourth quarters and especially in clutch time. I think that's going to really have to change for B.I. for in order for him to prove his worth next to a guy like uh, Zion. Wait, let me ask you this, because before the season started, I've been on team trade J.J. And it's nothing really personal against J.J. And like mm-hmm. him having a bad season overall has not really impacted what wasn't the impetus for that. It was just that I knew his future wasn't here and I was ready for some of those young guys to get right. some time. Um, but lately the two man game with Zion and JJ has been really good when they're out there, but why can't they do the same thing with, with BI and Zion? BI can shoot score from anywhere. Why can't they run those same actions and BI can rise up above uh, defenders better than JJ can. I know he's not that crazy scary shooter, but JJ hasn't been that so far this season either. And also, Bi is a better playmaker and does other things better than than um, 
than JJ does. So why can't we run those sort of actions to get them more comfortable together and have more of a two-man game with those two utilizing our best players in, in you know, together with each other? No, I agree. And I want to see it too, but here's the easy answer for right now. Why it's either it's not happening or why maybe it wouldn't be as successful. And it's the fact that JJ moves off the ball so well, like he'll, he'll just look and see where the space is and he'll go to it quickly. Just make the right decision. Right. Right. Reads. The eyes never been that guy. He's never been like say Clay Thompson is he's always been the guy, give me the ball. And then either I'm going to go ahead and get us a bucket or I'm going to create it's something that's kind of new now in his game over the last year and a half or so, whatever. So I, I just think, honestly, that boils down to B.I. just expanding his game and learning to do what basically J.J. does and, and basically just you know, learning more basketball, being able to see that what, you know, how it plays unfolding to be able to make the right read and therefore executing it. Because right now, I don't think he's got that. That's why we sometimes see a lot of bad decisions, especially a lot of bad passes, because he doesn't have that mind yet. Right. Kind of just mm-hmm. how it all unfolds like it does for some of the greats in the league. So I think you just got to give that one time. But I agree with you, Kevin, with his talents and his length and his shooting ability. You would think that that should, if you work at it over time, develop into something special. I agree. No, I, I just want to mention B.I. real quick. Uh, I, I think this is the natural order of things whenever you're losing is just the 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 question of fit, the problem of fit, the 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 rumors that inevitably are traced by some of the players who are underperforming and some of your really good players just because you want to see something different. Uh, it's, it's just a viewer fatigue. But I just want to go over this really quickly. And I'm sure everybody knows these numbers, but just to reiterate them. Last season, uh, B.I.'s all-star campaign, 23.8 points. This season, 23.6. Last year from three, 6.2 attempts. This year from three, 6.2 attempts. Last year, 39.1% from three. This year, 39.2%. He's the same player. He's still an all-star. He's still one of the NBA's best volume scorers, and Mm -hmm. he's still learning how to play. He does all of this on an extreme degree of difficulty. Opponents are putting their best uh, playmakers or uh, opposing playmakers on the floor Mm -hmm. against him, B.I., and and you notice it whenever he comes out of the gate. It it seems as if he's unstoppable, and then he slows down the fourth quarter, and he relies on iso ball, probably because his legs are a bit tired because these guys are playing games on every other night. But anyway, uh, I just want to... I just want to shoot down that notion as best respectfully uh, is that I love watching BI play. And like Kevin said, it's so nice to have an all-star level, a small forward. And if the Pelicans can find the pieces like a, a Lou Dort, a Matisse Thibel, an Andre Ro- uh, Robertson type from, from five years ago to just compliment these guys and kind of take that onus away from Lonzo ball defensively. So we can go back to being a secondary perimeter stopper instead of the guy that's just getting obliterated mm-hmm. by Dame. To his credit, Dame obliterates everybody. I, I saw somebody post on Twitter. Uh, now Pelicans fans are going to see how good Dame actually is when you don't have Drew Holiday out there. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think we can all agree that um, Eric Bledsoe hasn't been the player that we thought he was going to be. And I think what we're all agreeing to is it's not because the talent isn't there or the ability isn't there. It's that the buy-in isn't there. And that's problematic. Uh, that's problematic for the team that you want to be and for the team that you currently are. Uh, and and with the nature of his contract, that's that's difficult because at this point, I don't know if you'd agree, but I think you would have to attach a sweetener in order to move him. I, I don't know that there's many teams in the NBA who would want to take on that level of salary, uh, considering how close everybody is to the luxury tax already. Some teams are already into it, so there's there's just no wiggle room there. So I think the Pelicans are in a bit of a tough spot there. One thing that I will bring up, 
is it appears that Blake Griffin is about to be bought out. And I think he's got like 70 million uh, left on his contract. At some point, do you have that conversation with Eric Bledsoe and Clutch Sports? I don't know. Um, but I've been talking for a while, so I'll, I'll shift things back to Ali. Just just a positive again, um, Zion B.I., he's the exact same player, like to the decibel that he was last year. So over these next four games, the, the Celtics have been struggling. The Bucks without Drew have been struggling. I lost my place in the schedule. Uh, they're playing the Pistons. Uh, there, there is a very good chance that Pelicans put this together following this practice right now. What's the number one thing that you want to, or the number one way you want to see the Pelicans respond this week? Um, not the opponent, you know, make 20 or more threes, basically something that range to where the Pelicans are just getting so smashed by the three ball to where they have to really make it up in free throws, fast breaks, second chance points, right? Just to make up, you know, all the points are given up, the extra points just by easy made threes. So they've got to figure out something. They've got to be better on the pick and roll coverages and, of course, the rotations and such. So defensively, that's where I want to see it at. at it's at because this offense, we've already touched on it. Sam Van Gundy talks about it. We all know it. We can see it. It's one of the best offenses in the league right now. It's just humming because you've got Zion, the unstoppable force, B.I., who's usually on and a, and a great shooter. Lonzo's knocking him down. And, and a lot of his teammates have come up a lot bigger than they were during the first, what, three weeks or so of the season. So, yeah, just defensively, man. Let, let's see a couple quarters of holds um, and let's not see these runs, right? I feel like that's almost corresponding one with the other because it's always this massive knockout blow at a certain point in the game that has really killed New Orleans, where they've had a huge lead and they've given up to lose a game to where they can't close something out. You, you name it. You just want to see those big runs. And like I said, those, those slippages defensively just come to an end. Uh before we wrap things up, I, I want you to answer that as well, Kevin. But um, first, you talked about Jackson Hayes earlier, and kind of by necessity, the Pelicans had to put in somebody other than the Jackson Hayes. They put in Billy Hernan Gomez, and uh, I, I know you didn't watch much of the Suns game, but just in terms of his fit with Zion, uh, it's pretty crazy. I just pulled these up. Per 100 possessions in 144 minutes, this is no longer a small sample size, Billy Hernan Gomez and Zion are 16.3 points better than their opponents per 100 possessions. I'm not sure where that ranks in the league on that kind of volume, but I'd imagine it's very, very high. Uh, the Pelicans were already only playing uh, Stephen Adams, I want to say around like 28 minutes per game. I, I think we have to see more of Hernan Gomez at this point. Are you at a point where you need to see more Zion at the five or you want to see more Billy? I want to see more Hernan Gomez. Like, I mean, the, the thing is, is that we've already said Zion is an unstoppable force offensively. No matter what a defense tries to do, they cannot stop him. No matter who he's on the court with, surrounded by, they cannot stop him. It, that doesn't matter. What matters is what he gives up on the defensive end because he's not a good defender. So if you pair him with Jackson Hayes, then you're just – like wasting all of that offensive production because Jackson Hayes is also not a good defender at this point of his career. So having, obviously when you have Steven Adams, you have a great defender there and you're going to see great numbers there. When you have Hernan Gomez in there, he's a serviceable defender. He's not a great defender, but he's solid. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he needs to be position wise. And he's also an incredible rebounder. I mean, I wrote about that before the season started. About You go back and look through his defensive uh, rebounding ratings. They're incredible. 
you know, and then even offensively, he has some skill to his game. He's kind of like, you know, like a Walmart version of uh, Cantor in a sense offensively. You know, he's got really nice feet. He can go over both shoulders. He's got nice touch around the rim. We've seen him hit corner th- uh, corner three. You know, he's, he, he, you know, it's not something you want him to do often, but he's got something to his game. Um, but just having a credible defender there is what you see that causes that spike in in the net rating because Zion gives you nothing defensively yet, but offensively he's just this dynamo. So if you can offset that, then that offense just skyrockets and carries you net rating-wise. So, yeah, I mean, it's an unfortunate situation because, like I said, this team has kind of got a foot in each bucket, you know, um, developmental. That doesn't necessarily mean – losing games it just means committing to youth and you have good youth so there's still a chance that you could win um or trying to win and play uh these veterans so it's a tough situation for guys like jackson to be able to learn how to play the game because it's clear that they want to win games with the way the roster is constructed and doesn't give him much leeway and it doesn't give the fan base much ability to be patient with him as he learns um so but yes like, I'm not a huge Jackson Hayes fan, as you guys know. It's not that I have any ill will towards him um, or anything. I just don't think that he's going to become a great NBA player because of his mentality, um, though he's shown strides in that area and especially strides in rebounding. But a guy like Hernan Gomez is the kind of player I like down low, so I'm happy to see him play. You know, he's kind of like Jaleel Okafor, but that has some defensive skill and can rebound. You know, if you added that to, to Jaleel's game, you kind of got Hernan Gomez, although Jaleel's probably, you know, a little bit more skilled on the offensive end, but they have a similar offensive game. Uh, Ali, before we wrap things up, since you just heard Stan Van Gundy speak, and because there was a practice today, we talked about Aaron Gordon earlier, you know, being kind of that perimeter stopper that the Pelicans don't have right now. They're using Josh Hart kind of in a similar capacity to what they used Drew Holiday in last year. There is a guy on the roster who we haven't seen much of, if at all. Ali, tell us, or I should say, oh, hell, tell us, has Wendon <laughs> Gabriel earned any more favor in Stan Van Gundy uh, that we might get to see him at some point? We're we're nearly, we're approaching halfway through the season. Yeah, and it, it obviously, to me, it doesn't speak well for what Gabriel has been showing, you know, either in the limited practices or maybe on the one-on-one work with whoever the assistant coach coaches that are responsible in, in grooming him, right. And developing him and getting him up to speed. You know, when you got a young player in the league and he's bounced around a little bit, you know, started, I think, what was it last year on the trip or on the Kings ended up on the trailblazers. And now he's on his third team in, in what 14, 15 months that that's going to be difficult on, on the player himself in, in a lot of respects, but especially a young guy. And then you combine with a guy who's not really, you know, his his talents don't jump out at you. Like you can just throw him out there and live with the mistakes kind of deal. And so we're, I guess we're in a situation that isn't, I guess, completely unexpected, right? He's not playing because either A, can't digest what's going on, you know, schematically, offensively and or defensively. Or, you know, maybe there's something else at play. I don't know. I mean, but either way, yeah, I'm going to try and ask – I've been meaning to find out and see if how he's been looking since they had a practice today. It'd probably be good to follow up and ask how's his progress doing because, you know, we've seen in years past where we wonder why Julio Okafor wasn't playing with, 
you know, under Alvin Gentry for, for weeks when they first got him. And it was at the time because he wasn't, you know, Gentry didn't feel comfortable putting him out there. So I'm just wondering if it's the same thing, but yeah, we got to figure it out. Cause he is, he kind of, you would think on paper provide what they're missing out there, right? That length defensive first kind of attitude and, you know, being able to make the three ball offensively if he's wide open. So yeah, I'll, I'll look into that. We were wondering if we could get through 30 minutes and here we are past an hour. And one more thing that I want to comment on that has nothing to do with the Pelicans, but uh, it just made me giggle. Two women dressed up as grannies try to get vaccinated in Florida. The New York Times says the women aged 34 and 44 presented valid CDC cards indicated that they had already gotten their first coronavirus vaccine dose so they managed to trick this florida hospital by dressing up as grannies only in florida this is amazing and with that we'll leave you ali uh you mentioned you're going to be talking to stan van gundy anything else we have to look forward from for your work um i've been concentrating on lonzo these last couple of days so i want to do a write-up on the improvement that i'm seeing and the numbers are showing it he's incredible from the corner three mid-range game he just doesn't shoot those enough and you see the confidence kind of growing I mean, look at his free throw percentage. I know he's not shooting him much, but he's never been good, right? The few times he's gotten out there. Well, the last like 18, 19, 20 games, it's over 80%. Um, So I feel like there's being strides made with him and they're incremental, but important because let's face it, they're going to have to decide whether to trade him or keep him. And I I think I'm going to be on the side of where I want to see them keep him. So I want to write that up. And um, what we had basically talked about earlier, Aaron Gordon, trying to figure out maybe we should start looking at possible potential trades on some guys that haven't been talked about enough. So for me, it'll be Aaron Gordon. I want to focus in on soon. Yeah, that would be huge. Uh, Now, Kevin, before we go, can you tell our listeners again about Nola Crawfish King? Yeah, it's uh, 5321 Franklin Avenue. Starting next week, we're open seven days a week, 11 to seven. So we're be one of the few places in the city that you could get boiled crawfish on a Monday. Um, and like I said, we have a huge sandwich menu. We have a full barbecue menu. We have um, homemade uh, sausages and bacon and Canadian bacon and tasso in the deli case, which you can buy. Uh, and then we have boiled crawfish, crab, shrimp, turkey necks, all that stuff. Um, so come on down, get all that stuff. And basketball-wise, I would say you you guys know if you listen to me on this podcast for a long time that I don't watch college basketball. I hate college basketball. Can't stand the NCAA, all that stuff. But if there's a player out there whose name begins with an M and his last name is Bridges, the Pelicans better draft him in this draft because every M Bridges in this league is a guy that I would love to add to this roster. I would like to have both of them. Um, I think they would solve all of our problems. Um, so go get go get me a Bridges. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, shout out to Bet Online again. Uh, the Houston Rockets and Demarcus Cousins are planning to part ways. Shams just reported, uh, and you can bet on his landing spot at bet online. So shout out to them. Uh, thank you all so much for listening again. You guys have been so supportive of us. Our network is about to announce a huge rebrand uh, next week, which we're so excited to to share with you guys about. And like I said, we're going to have uh, sneaker giveaways. Uh, I think we're giving away four this month. So I'll, I'll have some more information for you then. I've been super, super busy, but uh, just really, really exciting. We just want to thank you for all of your help and all of your support in listening to our show. Uh, it really is a privilege. So again, if you ever want to help us, you can always rate us. You can retweet this. You can share. You can tell your friends about it. That's that's really all we ask. Other than that, thanks for uh, climbing aboard with us. Let's dance and let's go Pels.
listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today.